But I want to focus on a different kind of crown. That's what I'm talking about this morning, a different kind of crown. Two of them, in fact. The crown of thorns, straight from Israel, and the crown of glory. One represents suffering, rejection, and humiliation, and the other, honor and glory and righteousness. Jesus had to wear one in order to gain the other. He had to wear the first to gain the second. When the New Testament was written, there were two different words for crown. Stephen told you what this word was in Greek. I wonder if any of the older children can remember the Greek word for crown. The the clue is in his name. Can anybody remember the Greek word? It's good to recap. It's good to think. No? Anybody feeling shy? (laughs) It's actually Stephanos. See? (laughs) Stephanos. That is the Greek word for crown, and it's the one most used in the New Testament to describe a crown. It's not a traditional king's crown. It's more like a circle, usually made of olive leaves. And it was given to someone who had been victorious in a race. They used to um, do a lot of, of games in those days. They hadn't got television. They hadn't got computers. They hadn't got iPads. They hadn't got social media. Their entertainment was to gather together for games. And the winners would be awarded crowns. And they were also awarded to people who were victorious in war. Somebody who'd really excelled in war for their country and their people, they would be awarded one of these Stephanos or crowns. And Stephanos is also the word used for the crown which Jesus was forced to wear by the Roman soldiers. But they didn't make that crown out of laurel leaves, did they? What did they make that crown out of? Thorns. And it was done deliberately to cause pain, humiliation, and suffering. And I I want to focus for a little while on this crown of thorns because we often just say, don't we, Jesus wore a crown of thorns. And we don't think about it much more than that. But actually, there's a lot of of, um, things within that symbolism that are worth thinking about. So, I've had the course. Let's see if it works. Yeah, it does. I want to just read to you these verses out of Matthew 27. Is is that not the right one? Oh, yeah. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And then they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. 
They put a staff in his right hand, and then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. You know, the Romans were experts when it came to executing someone. Their methods were designed to make the process as torturous and as painful as possible. And in Matthew's account of the hours leading up to the crucifixion, he tells us that Jesus was handed over to the Roman soldiers in the Praetorium, which has long been identified as the Antonia Fortress adjacent to the temple. Commentators estimate that a battalion of soldiers would have been at least 120 men, sometimes as many as two to 400. We get the idea from films, don't we, that Jesus was stood in front of a handful of men. No. Jesus was stood in front of a jeering crowd of Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers who hated the Jews, who didn't want to be in Israel. And they would have taken great delight in the mock coronation that they set up. And these Romans, you know, they were infamous for playing games with condemned prisoners. They invented cruel games. They used to dress condemned prisoners in costumes and they used to move them around a huge game board like a chess piece. I think Jesus would have faced them at some time and been tempted to say, checkmate, but that's just my thoughts. But can you imagine over 120 men, some kneeling in mock homage at his feet while others spat on him and others beat him, wearing a crown of thorns? Hail, King of the Jews, they said, and like a lamb to the slaughter and a sheep, before a shearer's is silent, Jesus did not say a word. I said before, have you ever thought about the crown of thorns? Their bite. This is just a small one. Was it just part of their cruel game? Or does it symbolise something else? Well... I believe that the crown of thorns is not only a representation of cruelty, I believe that it's symbolic of all that the cross represents. Because the one who wore the crown of thorns went willingly to that cross because of God's mercy, God's faithfulness and his love for you and for me. The one who wore this crown of thorns was just and righteous and he was crucified and wore that crown of thorns for the unjust and the unrighteous. The one who wore that crown of thorns bore the judgment of God on the cross for your sin and for mine. In Genesis 3, we read the words of God to Adam following the disobedience of Adam and Eve just prior to their expulsion from the Garden of Eden. Cursed is the ground because of you. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. Those were God's words to Adam following his fall from grace when he and Eve sinned. 
One commentator has said that God's judgment on the land was expressed in the form of thorns and thistles. When sin entered the world, God's perfect creation began to change. Divine curses came to the created world where there'd only been blessing. Read chapters 1 and 2 of Genesis. God blessed many of the things that he had made. Chapter 3, curse, curses came into the world because of sin. Death entered the world where there had once been only life and sin ended man's communion with God and was replaced by separation from God. But at that time, God promised that a day would come when he would provide the answer. A descendant of the woman would crush the head of the one who had been instrumental in her downfall. That is the devil, the serpent. Jesus Christ, God incarnate, the creator of all things, including thorns, wore a crown which spoke of the judgment of God. But out of his inexplicable love for all mankind and his faithfulness to his word, almighty God not only provided the answer for sin, he became the answer. Because only he could reverse the effects of the curse. Only he could bring life where there once was death. And only he could reconcile man to God. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And in the book of Deuteronomy, we read of the blessings and the curses which Moses stated before the people just prior to his death. There's a long list of the blessings that would be evident amongst the Israelites if they kept God's covenant law. And conversely, there's a list of the curses or the consequences of breaking God's covenant law. You know, it was common practice in ancient covenant treaties to list the benefits or the blessings of keeping the regulations of that treaty and the consequences or the curses of breaking the rules. We're all guilty of breaking God's laws, every one of us. It's called sin. And therefore, we were all under the curse of the law. Jesus took upon himself the punishment that we deserve by becoming a curse for us. No wonder Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews. How could this man, reviled, mocked and cursed, who died on a cross, possibly be the Messiah? Possibly be the, the promised king? Well, Paul tells us he became a curse for us. Only Jesus could turn the curse into a blessing. Only he could turn something meant for evil into something that was so good. Only the man that wore the crown of thorns was able to redeem us from the curse of death and give us the promise of eternal life. So when we see that crown of thorns 
Remember, it not only illustrates the suffering of Jesus, it demonstrates that we have a faithful and a merciful God who loves us and gave his life for us so that we don't have to take the punishment that we deserve. A hymn kept coming to mind. I think I've been listening too much to Alistair Begg. He always quotes hymns. But man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a saviour. And we move on to another crown, the second crown, because that wasn't the end of the story. We know that after the events of the crucifixion, Jesus' death and his resurrection, he ascended into glory. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished, was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Because Jesus willingly gave his life for you and for me. The writer to the Hebrews tells us that he's now wearing a different kind of crown. He's crowned with glory and with honour. Wow. We see Jesus says the writer to the Hebrews, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. The Greek word again for crowned in this case is Stephanos, which tells us that Jesus has received the highest heavenly honour that God could give him because he accomplished all that God sent him to do. In his humanity, he ran his earthly race to the finish line and he was victorious over sin and death. Jesus has been crowned with glory and honour because as a man he suffered and as a man he died on behalf of everyone who follows him. And the writer again to the Hebrews tells us that it was for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. Don't know whether that's the right one. No, never mind. The crown's there. That's what we want. You know, Jesus could do no more. He did all that he could do. He completed the work of salvation. You cannot add to it. There is absolutely nothing that anyone here can do because Jesus did it all. He accomplished all that he was sent to do. Jesus has done enough. He has done enough to atone for the sins of all who would ever believe in him. He has done enough to reconcile sinful men to a holy God. He has done enough to redeem all who were dead in trespasses and sins. He has done enough to turn the curse of death into the blessing of eternal life. He has done enough to pay the redemption price for your sin and for mine. Those sins which only you know about, those things of which you are so ashamed, those things for which you cannot forgive yourself, he has done enough so that you can be forgiven. He has done enough to crush the head 
of that ancient serpent, the devil and Satan. That's it. Through his death, he has destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. The writer of the Hebrews tells us that Jesus has been crowned with glory and honour because by the grace of God he tasted or experienced death for everyone. He's done enough through his death to destroy the one who held the power of death, releasing us from the fear of death. And now our victorious saviour is seated at the right hand of God crowned with glory and honour and he ever lives to intercede for you and for me hallelujah what a saviour that which Adam lost has been regained by Jesus Christ and one day those who have accepted the Lord Jesus as saviour will know that, that that's, they'll know that same presence of God which Adam and Eve experienced before sin entered the world because Jesus has done enough. One day, we won't have to worry about climate change, about pollution and all the other problems that are associated with man's abuse of the planet because Paul tells us in Romans 8, even the creation itself will be set free from the effects of sin because Jesus has done enough. We are going to break bread together now and as we do so, I want us to think about that crown of thorns which speaks of God's justice, but also his mercy and his love. And remember that our saviour is now crowned with glory because he's done all that he can do. He's done enough to secure the salvation of all who put their trust in him. When he comes, our glorious King, all his ransomed home to bring, then anew this song we'll sing. Hallelujah! What a Saviour!